0: Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, today's gospel gives us Luke's version of the Our Father, the most beloved and popular prayer in the Christian tradition, a prayer offered literally millions of times every day around the world. So it might be good for us to seek to understand it better. How wonderful first that it comes directly from the prayer of Jesus himself. We hear that he's been spending significant time in prayer. And so the disciples ask him, Lord, how do we pray? It's as though the prayer that he teaches them sums up the manner and content of his own prayer. So, when you pray, he tells us, say, Father, hallowed be your name. We call God Father when we pray. Not Lord, not King, not power, though he is all those things too. But first we call him Abba. And as you well know, that was distinctive to Jesus, this way of addressing God with a, a child's term for his father, something a bit like dad or daddy. The point is, the same intimacy that Jesus has with his Abba, he invites us to share. See, the point is, we don't just imitate his prayer the way we might imitate the prayer of any spiritual teacher. So, you know, if a great master teaches you a set of words and so on. The point is, we enter into the dynamics of His own being when we pray. Let me just say that again. I think it's a very important point. is We're not just praying the words He taught us. We're entering into His attitude and manner of prayer when we pray. See, we're invited to say, Our Father, because first, it's His Father. He's in this unique relation to the Father. He's inviting us now to a lesser degree, of course. We're not the sons and daughters of God the way he is. But nevertheless, to share in that intimacy. It's wonderful. Just think about that now when you pray this prayer next time, because it can just be so formalized, can't it? Our Father who art in heaven. But just stop right away with that address. Abba, Daddy. That intimate connection to God that Jesus allows us to have. And then, hallowed be your name. So, may your name be held holy. The first thing we ask is that we might honor him. That we might make him first in our lives. That he might be set apart from everything else. And that's really what the word holy means in a Jewish or Hebrew context. God is holy, meaning he's set apart Job, family, money, success, the esteem of others, our friendships, all of that is good. But none of it is to be held holy in this sense. We shouldn't say, you know, my family, hallowed be your name. We shouldn't say, my career, my job, my corporation, hallowed be their names. Well, no, no. Abba, Father, is being held in this unique way as Set apart. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is Lord alone. The great Shema prayer from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Jesus reiterating the Shema prayer. That's what's going on here. Hallowed be your name. May you, Lord, your name be the one that's set apart. Because See, if we get this wrong, we get everything else wrong. If we don't hold his name holy above all, then everything becomes profane, gets off kilter. And so, the very first thing we ask for when we pray is, Lord, please help me to put you first in my life. Think of it that way. Daddy, I've got this intimacy with you now, Lord. Help me to make you first in my life. Then, your kingdom come. So Luke gives us you know, a little more laconic version of the prayer. It's just very direct and very uh, succinct. Your kingdom come. Well, that's the whole of Jesus' preaching, isn't it? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. What is the kingdom? What are we asking for? What are we praying for? Well, it's the reign of God for which Israel had longed for a thousand years. In the face of trials, injustices, pain, suffering of this world, Israel began to dream that one day God would reign. God would set things right. God would emerge as the righteous king of the world. So think of this long string of, you know, corrupt kings and then foreign kings and oppressive kings and emperors and all of that. The great dream of Israel was that God himself would come to reign and set things right and allow justice to obtain. Well, Origen, the early theologian, said Jesus himself, in person, is the kingdom. Auto Basileo was his term. He's the kingdom in person. And so, when we pray for the coming of the kingdom, what are we praying for? That Jesus' manner of being become more and more the manner of being of the world. Does that make sense? That in Jesus, God has indeed begun to reign. God has begun to set things right and so we're praying Lord may your kingdom come may your reign Lord Jesus be more and more powerful in the world and then by extension we're praying that we might as members of his mystical body contribute to this building up of peace and love forgiveness nonviolence, justice etc you know It's a very powerful thing when you're saying, Lord, may your kingdom come. Well, you're saying, and Lord, give me the courage, the grace, the capacity to contribute to the coming of that kingdom. Next comes that highly mysterious petition. Give us each day our daily bread. Now, I say mysterious because... As you know, that term daily here is a rendering of a highly ambiguous and very rare Greek word. It's found, as far as the scholars can tell us, only here and in Matthew's version of the Our Father. The term is epiousion in Greek. Epiousion. Ousia means substance, epi means upon or above or over. Literally, it means hyper-substantial or super-substantial. Now, why do we say daily at all here? Well, that's the scholars have speculated that uh, it means the coming day of the eschaton. It means uh, the great day of the Lord. But I want to stay with the um, epi-usion, what it means literally, hyper-substantial, super-substantial. What is the Eucharist? It's not ordinary bread, not just a symbolic representation, but rather, we say as Catholics, the transubstantiated presence of the body and blood of Jesus. The church speaks of a change, not at the level of appearance, but at the level of substance. What the thing truly is. Prior to the consecration, we say, well, that's bread and wine. After the consecration, that's the wrong way to talk. It's the body and blood of Jesus. Therefore, in this mysterious petition, at the heart of Jesus' prayer, what are we asking for? We're asking for the super-substantial bread. We're asking for the Eucharist, this most intimate communion possible with the living Christ. Now, I mean, bring those two petitions together. Your kingdom come, the reign of God. Well, see, what is that but... The internalization in us of Christ's reign. That's what the Eucharist is. When you eat the body and drink the blood of Jesus, you're internalizing the law of the gospel. So those two really, you might say, amount to the same thing. Your kingdom come and give us this super substantial bread. Next we ask, forgive us our sins. Now, Jesus came for many reasons, accomplished many things. He taught us the way of love. He embodied what it means to live as a servant of the Lord. He healed, he performed miracles, etc. But what he came to do, first and foremost, was to forgive our sins. My son, your sins are forgiven, he says to the paralyzed man. Neither do I condemn you, he says to the woman caught in adultery. On the cross, what took place was the definitive act of sacrifice by which humanity is reconciled to divinity. The Lamb of God took away the sins of the world. And so we are praying here for the forgiveness of Christ. Forgive us our sins. May Christ so reign in us, may we so internalize his presence to us, that our sins are forgiven by him. And then right away, we draw the proper implication, as we forgive those who trespass against us. See, what's our task but to embody the work of Jesus, to become ourselves now agents of his forgiveness. As we've been forgiven, So now we forgive. And see everybody in that process, what's happening, but the kingdom is coming. You see how the prayer kind of doubles back on itself in a beautiful way. We're praying in a certain way for the same thing all the time. Then finally, do not subject us to the final test. A common expectation of the time was that the Messianic period would be preceded by a period of struggle, a time of testing and purification for those who are resisting the arrival of the Messiah. So what are we asking for here? Lord, don't lead us into this trial, this final test. We're asking that we might have the grace to accept Christ fully when he comes. May we not be in this group that needs to be chastised and purified, but may we have the grace to accept him. And so, in conclusion, everyone, can you see how the entire prayer is a prayer for Christ? That his kingdom might come. Well, he's the kingdom in person. That we might commune with his body and blood. That's the super substantial bread. That we might receive his forgiveness. That we might accept him wholeheartedly that's what this great prayer of Jesus is all about. It's a prayer that he might come and take possession of us. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.